I'm Arlen Hamilton, and this is Your First Million. I'm a venture capitalist. I started my fund Backstage Capital from the ground up while I was on food stamps. I have now invested in more than 100 companies led by women, people of color, and LGBT founders. After having raised more than $10 million, people often ask me how I did it. I created this podcast so I could tell you my story and so that together we could go on a journey and speak with some of the most successful people in the world from all backgrounds and walks of life to learn how they got their first million. And who knows, maybe I'll reach my first million in personal capital while I'm recording this series. There's only one way to find out. This episode is brought to you by Digital Ocean. Let's go. Hi, it's Arlen. This is a bonus episode of Your First Million. And the 10th episode of Your First Million, we, we, I spoke to Jewel Burks and we talked about stage fright and fear of public speaking or just in general deciding whether or not you should be out there speaking or doing more press or just being out there beyond social media. And I, t- I said in that interview that I would talk about it in a bonus episode. So that's what I'm going to do. If you are new to the bonus episodes, they're where I just I press record. I, I don't have any script or any even any notes. And I just kind of riff on a topic at hand. And this time, I do want to talk specifically about stage fright and how I have been able to overcome it for the most part. I was trying to remember the last time I was nervous. Actually, I was nervous a little bit. I was nervous for like 30 minutes. Um, Earlier this year, 2019, I spoke at Oxford Foundry. They have an accelerator and they have all sorts of programming and it's a course and it's, you know, it's Oxford. So it's, it's pretty full on. And I was so flattered to have been invited to speak there. And when I got there, I just sort of, it it sort of hit me, the enormity of it and the the surrealness of it, because I didn't go to college, first of all, and just to be on the Oxford grounds being given a private tour because I was going to be speaking there to kick off a major event later that day, it just sort of hit me. So I said, oh, I, I think I'm a little nervous right now. And then once we got going, the nerves went away. So I wanted to talk about it because I used to be so nervous talking publicly for speaking speaking engagements or anything like that. So I, I'm going to revisit a tweet storm that I did back in September 2017 at Arlen Was Here, A-R-L-A-N Was Here. That's my Twitter. And this is a storm, so I'm just going to go through it and talk a little bit about it. So I said that in this 2017, fall 2017 uh, tweet storm, I said, in 2016, I turned down approximately 40 speaking engagements due to lifelong severe stage fright that I thought I'd never conquer. Since you've asked, here are some ways in six months I've gone from being terrified of public speaking to only slightly nervous, anxious. I cut out the noise of everyone giving me their opinions of when and how I should get over, quote unquote, my fear, and instead followed my inner compass. 
Yeah. I mean, so many people are, are like, you have to talk. And I actually actually just did that to Jewel. If you listen to the interview, I'm like, you have to talk. You have to. And I, I, when I was told that, I would kind of shut down and I would be like, well, there's so much expectation. You're saying, I would say it, you know, I said it to Jewel because she's so wonderful and so well-spoken and has so much life uh, experience and would be helping so many people. And so I wanted her to enjoy that feeling. But now that I think of it, it's the very first thing I mentioned here in this tweet storm two years ago is that it has to come from within. It can't be me telling someone what to do or how they should feel or how they should get over anything. So that's the first thing. I remember people with really good intentions and like I listened to most of them saying you have to do this because people need to hear your message. And I knew what they were saying. I knew that they meant well. But honestly, it just physically made me more scared because it the whole point of not speaking publicly was I don't want to be in a position where I don't know what to say or where I get so physically nervous that I make a fool of myself and I can't get out of the situation. It was a fight or flight kind of vibe. And I just couldn't, as as brave as I am and as confident as I am, that particular nightmare was not something I was willing to put myself in, right? Why do it on purpose? So I had just resigned myself to not speaking publicly. It was just going to be what I did or didn't do. So that was number one. Number two, I said on this on this uh, tweet storm, once I made the decision to try to tackle this debilitating fear, I made a deal with myself to commit to three speaking engagements in 2017. And I did. At the top of 2017, I uh, I made that rule because I said, hey, at least if 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 I'm going to say yes to three, and no matter what, I'm going to do them no matter what. And you have to remember how scared I was to even speak up in front of like 30 people. It was weird, right? I can't even imagine it anymore. And it's only been two and a half years. But I was so scared. And so I said, so to say yes to three in a year was just like mind boggling at the time. But I knew that I could at least say the excuse, hey, I tried that. I tried three. I hated it. I don't have to do it anymore. Leave me alone. (laughs) That was really my strategy there. Uh, Next tweet says, the only rule I gave myself was that I had to follow through no matter what, even if I was scared or terrible at it. After three, I could stop. Once the three commitments were made, I saw a primary care physician to see if beta blockers were for me. I was prescribed and did a test run. Beta blockers aren't magic pills that make you compelling or talented, but they do take away a large physical component, racing heart. So let's talk about that just for a second. So uh, a few people, when they were begging me to speak and like telling me I had to speak, they said, hey, get beta blockers. It'll fix everything. And you haven't lived until you've tried beta blockers. Well, I did some research on Dr. Google and it said, that, you know, it wasn't for people with the the faint of heart. It wasn't people who had heart problems or anything. And it was this pill that you took that slowed your heart rate. And that terrified me. Uh, I have a lot of heart issues in my family and personally, not a a lot of heart issues personally, but like I have had heart issues in the past personally. And 
it was like, I, there's no way I'm going to take a pill that slows my heart rate down. What are you kidding me? Just to go speak somewhere? No. But once I made this decision to say yes, I thought, hey, it won't hurt to go to a doctor and talk about it and just find out and see if I'm right or wrong about this. So I do remember going to a doctor. They told me, this doctor said that when he flies, he gets really, really nervous. So he usually takes a beta blocker while he's at the TSA area. And that by the time he's on the plane, he's his, he's calmed down a bit. So that was like help, helpful. He also prescribed me a, a small dose and said, hey, just go home and try it out and have somebody with you. And um, it's, it's really actually... Um, not that big of a deal if you use it sparingly. So you use a small dose every once in a while, it calms you down and it makes your heart not go <laughs> when you're trying to speak. And so if your heart rate is slower, then your hands don't shake and your voice doesn't shake. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't it suck when you're trying to say something and you know what you're talking about, but your voice shakes because you're having a physical reaction because you're human and your adrenaline is rushing, and you're scared, or you're uh, passionate, or whatever, and it sounds like you're nervous. Doesn't that suck? So these things kind of, they all resonated with me. And so I went and tried it out. I realized that it was pretty uh, innocent pill I was taking. I definitely, I don't drink anymore, and I definitely didn't want anything I was going to become addicted to. So this was just really good for all of that, right? So I, I did take beta blockers for Probably, so I started in March, probably like maybe four months. Like it wasn't past the summer that I took them, but at the beginning it was really helpful. And what I noticed was it didn't make a big difference. I say in this tweet, beta blockers aren't magic pills that make you compelling or talented, but they do take away a large physical component of the racing heart. So you know, you can't just take a pop a pill and be smart and funny and silly and 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 entertaining and all of that. It just takes a little edge off, much like an alcoholic beverage might, but to me, that wasn't an option. Um, at the time, it was an option, but today it's not an option. And also, I felt like even when I was drinking, if I take a shot before I go on stage, what if I say something I didn't mean to say? Is it really worth it? Will I want another one? Will I get too loose? You know what I mean? It just wasn't worth it. So see, like the next one says, I started with a friendly interviewer who was uh, Ania Williams, opera queenie on Twitter, in a friendly setting, which was Black and Brown Founders, BB Founders on Twitter talking about a friendly subject, which was Backstage Capital, my venture fund, Backstage underscore uh, cap. So the very first interview I did was at Black and Brown Founders in San Francisco. It was probably about 40, 50, 60 people in the room. And I was so nervous. I was so no nervous. But I tell you what, as soon as I looked out into the audience, which was, there wasn't even a stage. It was just a small room, right? But when I looked out, we had we had mics. It was streaming. I was terrified, absolutely terrified. And if you see me speak at like in front of like a thousand people, you probably think that that's crazy, but I was terrified. I mean, I can still feel the feeling right now. That was March, 2017. When I looked out into the audience, right before we were about to go, I just saw... Frankly, I saw a group of black women looking back at me, smiling. And I said, wow. I was like, oh, oh, this isn't about me. This is about them. 
This is about the experience that they came here for. The information may be something I could say that would inspire. It's not about how I feel. And, and that really, that moment changed everything, everything for me, because I understood what my role was. It was no longer ego and fear and insecurity. It was completely gifting. It was like, this isn't, this isn't for me. You know, I don't want to be too corny because I don't want to act like I'm some sort of like amazing singer or something like that. But it, it's kind of the similar. It's like if you have a gift and you're able to sing, a lot of times when, singers that I know, and I know plenty of them, they say that they, when they're singing, it's really not about them. It's about the audience. And that's kind of how I, that's kind of that moment that happened for me. Um, so anyway, I'll continue with the thread. I said, uh, you know, found a friendly interviewer, friendly setting, friendly subject. Either I or the interviewer will tell the audience the truth about me being nervous. That was really helpful at the beginning. Like the first few, I was so nervous. Still, it wasn't like it just went away after the first one, that it really just cut out all of that tension that you kind of build up for yourself by saying to the audience, if you're being sincere, you know, I wouldn't use it. I wouldn't pretend to be more nervous than you really are because that's really that that is not sincere and that kind of backfires. But if you truly are really nervous by just saying one time, you don't have to keep saying it, but one time say, you know what, just want to start off by saying I'm really nervous. I don't do a lot of public speaking. So, you know, just bear with me. Then you find that the audience is just so forgiving. There, one of the things that people used to say to me before pre <laughs> was that all oh, the audience just wants you to win. They don't want they just just want you to win. So they're going to be there. And I would be like, yeah, right. <laughs> like who, who cares if they want me to win? That doesn't really help me get my feet walking onto that stage. But now that I look back on it, it's absolutely true. The audience that you went to, like with the exception of one or two that you might find yourself in, most of the time, the audience is there. They're sitting there for a reason. They want to hear something. They just want to hear from you. And so they're not hoping that you mess up. They're just wanting to hear from you. They're not like expecting you. Uh, they're not expecting the thing that you think they're expecting from you, right? Okay. So continuing with the thread, I say, I stick to what I know and I go with the fireside chat option whenever possible since chatting with someone is where I'm most comfortable. Still true to this day. If I have an option, I will go for the fireside each and every time. I also love Q&A because it keeps me on my toes. I love hearing from the audience and understanding what they really want to know and hear from me. Um, but that fireside is really, I think, you know, as long as I can do that, I will do that. I am getting more and more comfortable with just direct keynote TED Talk style conversations. As you can see here, I can talk for, for a long time without anybody interrupting me or anyone prompting me. So I kind of, that's, I was kind of made for that, but I haven't done as many of those as I, as I would like. So I say, I visualize literally quality over quantity. Success is reaching one person on a deep level that day. Anything more is a bonus. Hey, that's important. Let's stop right there. That's really, really important. And I promise you that to this day, up until the very last time I spoke live, which was just a week ago, a week ago today, I do that every single time. I, I do a scan of the audience. I do it. You all notice this. Like next time you come see me speak, notice that I scan the audience when I first get there. And then when kind of when someone else is speaking, I'll scan the audience and kind of look into people's 
eyes. Because what I'm doing is I'm looking for someone that I can say, okay, I think I'm being helpful to them. I think this is worth it to them. And if I can find the one that's all that matters, and if I can visualize the one, that's all that matters. So it's quality over quantity. I'm not trying to get the entire room to fall in love with me. I'm trying to connect with one person, even if I never talk to them. Even if they leave and we never talk, just the idea that one person walks away with something that helps them in some way, that is enough to fuel me for that 30, 20, 45 minutes. The next tweet says, I remember it's not about me. It's about them. Again, I said that earlier. It's not about me. It's about them. It's about your audience. It's about what you can gift your audience in your story. And, um, you know, some people might actually take that wrong and kind of think it's pretentious. Uh, I don't care. <laughs> You're not the boss of me. No, I mean, honestly, it doesn't matter the people who think that that's pretentious because that's not really your audience, is it? Your audience is that one person because that one person adds up. And obviously that one person represents a greater number of people. If you, you know, sometimes things that can hold you back if you're thinking about speaking is like, well, I'm not an expert or people are going to think that I think of too much of myself. You know, some people think that. Who cares? Who cares if someone thinks you think too much of themselves? You know how many people write to me online and say that they think that I'm conceited or they think that I've forgotten where I came from? Well, first of all, they don't even know where I came from. They didn't live it, right? And second of all, that is buried in a sea of love that I get. And the only person who can sabotage that love feeling that I get is me by listening to the bull. So you... Take from what I say, what others say, what you're, you know, what you hear and read. Take the parts you want and throw the rest away. Something that's like a, a paraphrasing Usher song, you know. Take it or throw it away. <laughs> you know, just don't let those negative thoughts of other people or what other people could be thinking or may be thinking. How much of a waste of time is that? Okay, so let, I'm going to keep going here. So I think the last, so there's two more tweets. Oh, no, there may be another one. There's two more tweets. One says, when the nervousness starts to feel overwhelming, repurpose it as energy that I can control and aim at will. Still to this day, I haven't been super nervous, like I mentioned, but like in the last probably year, solid year, I haven't been nervous. And this is uh, summer of 2019 that I'm saying this. But like at Oxford just a few weeks ago, when I did start to feel nervous, when the, the stakes were higher, you know, higher and higher, I have trained myself to like think about it and talk about it, have the conversation with myself internally. Okay, what is it that's really wrong here? What are you really afraid of? Can, can, you, can you conquer that before you go out on the stage? Can you get yourself together? Can you pull away some of the, the key elements here? Have you made it about, more about you than it is? Um, do you know your topic? Do you, is it because you don't know enough about what you're stepping into? Can you talk to someone right before you go on and maybe get a, you know, a stronger feeling in, in, about what we're going to talk about? Um, 
it's something. Is it something external that has nothing to do with this? Is it something that you're just not having a good day? You know, I had that conversation with myself, and nine out of ten times, what I can do is completely take that fear, wrap it up in some sort of like bubble, like that's protective and say, uh-uh, nope. All that energy inside that bubble, that's fear. It's now uh, energy that is just going to directly go into making this as great an experience for one person in the audience as possible. And it's really the conversation I have with myself. I'm like, nope, not going to do it today. You're not going to, you're not going to bring yourself down today. Nope. There's too many people out there trying to come at you, and that's day to day. That's whoever's listening. There's too much. There's too many people trying to get in your way. You can't be one more of them. So that stops. You know, the last tweet says, "I've now been in front of a crowd on stage a dozen times in six months, including in front of 700 plus people. I still get nervous, but so far so good. Thumbs up." So that was September 2017. It looks like I had spoken 12 times in those six months. Wow. I said I was going to do three and 12, but I did 12 and six instead. And almost two years later, I've spoken at least 100 times, at least 100, if not, if not closing in on 150. And the biggest audiences have been in the thousands. I don't know the biggest one. I can't think of the biggest one, but it's been in the multi-thousands at this point. Um, and there's all there's room to grow. And, and I know over the next two years, there will be more and more and more. So, I mean, honestly, I mean, there's if you do a search on Twitter for my, my profile, which is Arlen was here. If you do a search with that profile plus the word fright or stage fright or something spelled different ways, right? You're going to see over the years where I'm like, yep, sorry, I had to cancel stage fright or nope, can't do that stage fright. But you know, this was so real. If you know, if you talk to anybody who knew me before 2017, they would be like, there's no way, like as an adult, right? They'd be like, there's no way she's out there talking if they hadn't been paying attention. Now I'm like, I look at a week on my calendar and there's nothing there to speak at. And I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. I don't even know what to do with myself if, if I'm not speaking in front of a large crowd. And it just tells you how quickly things can change. And so we've talked about the how. I've given you some insights on the how, and I, I, I promise I'll talk even more in depth about it in the book that comes out next year. Um, can't tell you the title of the book, but it's all about these different kind of things in my life that I've kind of conquered, and this will definitely be a major part of it because we're writing it right now. But we talked about the how. Let's talk about what has happened because of it. Let's really break that down. And I haven't thought about this at all. I haven't written any notes, but... I can think of a few things right off the top of the dome because let's see we're we're in end of, you know middle of the summer 2019 between now and when I wrote this or even when I started uh speaking in 2017 I have been the subject of Gimlet's podcast series called Startup which has seven episodes you can listen to right now on Gimlet uh, on like Apple or Spotify or any of those places that happened in 2018. We also uh, have dozens and dozens of episodes of the Bootstrap VC, and some of those are re response episodes to the Gimlet. So if you've already listened to Gimlet, you can just go listen to our response episodes on Bootstrapped VC. I've been on the cover of Fast Company. 
uh, as as some of you know, and whether yeah, that that's that's crazy on its own. But the cover of Fast Company, I'm now signed to CAA. Uh, I have a I have two speaking agents. I have other podcasts in the works, other media projects in the works. I have in the last let's see, four months, I've raised more than $3 million for, for our company. Um, I've spoken, like I said, more like probably 150 times or something like that. I'll try to do a, a, some sort of a, of a, of a count at some point. And there's a lot coming up, um, over the next year and a half that has a lot to do with me speaking. Been a lot of, a lot of press. I mean, crazy amount of press, good and bad. Uh, built built the backstage up to 45 people at one point. Now we're down to 25. Uh, but in, in doing all of that and have invested in 130 companies, and I would imagine that at, that at March 2017 or that at March 2017, we were probably at 30 to 40. So another 100 companies or so have happened. It happened since... That this tweet storm, another hundred companies or so, maybe 80 to 100 companies have happened since this tweet storm and since I started speaking. A lot of stuff has happened. And there's so, let me, let me stop right now and say, there's so much to happen. There's so much ahead of us. We are just getting started and I am just getting started. However, I can... Yeah, I can guarantee you that 90% of what has happened in the last two years or so wouldn't have happened at the scale, the speed, the quality, uh, the intensity, or the impact that it has happened were it not for me starting to speak publicly. And I never would have, I never would have believed anyone if they told me that, even though they told me that. <laughs> Even though they said literally those words, things will change for you if you do. And it was one it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do because I was breaking from 35 plus year, 36 years of habit, formed habit. I remember being in junior high and having speech class and having to speak. And I never once, you guys, you all, I do not remember once giving a speech because every single time I was supposed to be there, I was sick that day because I was so nervous. I remember hiding behind a tree in my 20s when I was, my late 20s, thank you, when I was supposed to host uh, Colorado Springs Pride as their host. But then I was like, holy crap. I can't do that. I'm so nervous. And I hid behind a tree. Think about what a tree looks like, y'all. A tree doesn't have a hidden spot to it. You just walk around the other side of the tree and you can see me. But I wasn't thinking clearly because I was so nervous. I never in a million years would have thought that I would be speaking to so many people so often and so happily to do so. The last thing I'll talk to you about before before we go is a little bit about the 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 business side of it. When I first started speaking, I did not charge any money to speak. Um, 
because, you know, I was speaking mostly about backstage. I still do speaking about my company and I still do. And it was, uh, you know, I was learning and I was getting better at it and I was um, happy for the exposure and, and getting out there. And I, it, it was a great strategy because of what I just talked about. Around summer of 2018, so let's say, what, 15, 16 months into speaking full-time. When I say full-time, I mean not that it was my full-time job, but that I would say yes, you know, any, to, to many things. So about summer 2018, after starting to speak for the first time, March 2017, I was getting so many requests to speak that it was now going to be me saying no too too often, and the and not knowing what to decide on what was a yes because I wanted to say yes to almost everything because they were all great opportunities. But I had to really think about what's best for the company, what's best for me, what's best for my health, what's best for our founders. I mean, that's what I think about every single day. Those three things. So. I had to make a decision and I said, well, you know, what I'll do is I'll start charging uh, an honorarium, well, not charging, but I'll, I'll, I'll add an honorarium, which is uh, an amount that you pay a speaker uh, for, for, for their services, you know, um, I'll, I'll have an honorarium that I'll need to ask for if I'm going to be able to go somewhere because I just, it's a lot of out of pocket expenses and, you know, exposure can only get you so far and there's only so many hours in a day and days in a year. So I said, cool, I'll, I'll come up with this amount. So I'm going to go into more detail in the book, but I'll tell you like right now what I did was I set a price that I thought that was pretty steep and it was scary to ask for, but I also felt like it was appropriate. And I felt like if anybody says no to that, that's good because it just frees me up to, to make that amount of money for our company somewhere else or to make that amount of money for myself. It's really not so such a crazy number. So the first three people who asked me to speak, the companies that asked me to speak, I said, yeah, this is my rate. This is my honorarium rate, whatever, right? And all three of them said no. <laughs> They're like, no, no way. That's ridiculous. I'm not gonna, we're not gonna pay you that. We don't have that in the budget, or no way, we don't, we're not gonna pay that amount. So I was like, okay, cool. And I guess they might have thought I was gonna say, oh, that's okay, I'll do it for free or whatever, but that was never gonna happen, right? So I said, sure, that's okay. Uh, and I thought after the third one, honestly, I thought, wow, maybe I just won't get asked to speak anymore because I I'm not going to change my mind here because it is the right thing to do, but also it seems like no one's really buying. So I guess I'll just, that was a good run I had, you know, that's kind of how I thought of it. And like maybe every once in a while I'll do something for free for, you know, a group that can't afford me. Pretty cool. I'd love to do that. And maybe every once in a while I'll do some major event and we'll just do that. So Right around the time I was making that concession, just a few weeks after coming up, or a few days, literally, actually, after coming up with that price uh, or that rate, someone reached out and they said, uh, hey, we'd like you to speak at this event. And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. Here's my here's my thing. And I was like, here comes another no. Like, I, I just cleared up my schedule. Woo. And they, they came back and they said, actually, we had you in the budget for twice this much. So that's what we're offering you. <laughs> Plus you can bring somebody from the team and we'll pay for all of your travel. Oh, okay. So that, I mean, that this changed things too. So when that happened, my rate changed to that rate. I no longer asked for the other rate. I asked for the higher rate. And 
that was in summer 2018, so a year ago. Um, and today, I'll have to tell you that my rate is five times the original rate that I asked for. And I have been paid or offered as much as 10 times the original rate that I've asked for. And in 2020, my rate goes up again. So, you know, life happens and you can't really plan it and plot it out. I wouldn't have ever told you that this A, B, C, D would happen. But I would have told you a few years ago that things that I would have been in a more leveraged position. And that things that cost a certain thing at one time were not going to still be that discounted rate another time. Or my time would be worth more another time. And if that's the case for you, if you're listening to this and you've listened to this whole thing and you think, hey, you're speaking my language, what I would suggest is looking into the future by year two five, however many is comfortable to you. It's up to you. It's your dream. It's your uh, strategy. And saying, where do I want to be? And imagining that world for yourself. That's what I do constantly. Imagine that world for yourself and the people around you and the things around you and the things you're able to do. And if you feel that two years from now, you're going to have more leverage than you do today for however it happens, if you feel that that's true, And you'll know it. You'll know, you'll be able to tell yourself the truth. If you feel that that's true, what you might want to do is think about how you can up your game. You know, Sierra says, level up, level up, level up. This might be the time where you need to start thinking through that. I'm going to level up each and every year, probably every quarter, if I'm being honest. It's, It's strategy and it's... You don't have to get permission. You don't have to um, run it by anybody. (laughs) You can just decide right now, my leverage is going to be different in X amount of time. And this is how I'm going to uh, present myself during that time. You you won't know the details. You will, will not, no matter how much you plan, plot, strategize, know the dots that lead you there. But you can definitely say where you want to be. And then watch, uh, as they say, some people say, and I'm, I'm, I'm go- the older I get, the more I get into this, watch the universe conspire to help you. All right? So that's it. Um, this has been fun. It's been a great, you know, great to look back on it. And I will, uh, I'll see you next time. I, I, I'm having so much fun with both the the episodes that are numbered and the bonus episodes. So keep asking questions. I will continue to do these bonus episodes. If you listen to this whole episode, the code word that you're going to tweet at me or write on Instagram or say to me in person is, let's see, let me look around, sneaker. Sneaker, like S-N-E-A-K-E-R, like shoes, sneaker. That's your code word. And you tell them, by writing that in a tweet, whether it's by itself or part of another uh, message or on Instagram in a DM or on a comment, you're telling me that you listened to this whole episode. All right. All right. We had a a lot of fun with the last one, which was grapefruit. You got to find that to know if you know, you know, (laughs) had a lot of fun with that. 
Sneaker. I will see you next time. And I cannot wait, cannot wait to see you speaking soon. Hey, so I'd love to talk to you and keep the conversation going. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Arlen was here. That's A-R-L-A-N was here. Stick around too, because I will let you know when my new book is going to be in pre-order. Now that's coming out in uh, 2020. It'll be out as the real book. Oh my goodness. And it'll be you'll be able to pre-order it most likely this year. So stay tuned. I'll let you know all about that on Twitter, on Instagram, and on this podcast. Thank you again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode. If you are interested in sponsoring an episode of Your First Million, get in touch with me. Um, right now, it's super easy to do so. You just email me at arlenhamilton at gmail. That's A-R-L-A-N-H-A-M-I-L-T-O-N at gmail.com and uh, put in the subject that you want to that you're thinking about sponsoring and I'll give you some more information Um, this is a really highly engaged audience really really uh, educated either through traditional means or through grit and tenacity or a little bit of both and uh, yeah these are the people you want to be talking to you got you got aspiring founders you've got in the trenches founders you've got aspiring angel investors and active angel investors you've also got venture capitalists you've also got limited partners and then you have people who are listening in to learn all about what all of that means and so it's a really interesting group of people check it out thank you again digital ocean for sponsoring your first million is produced and edited by anna eichenauer and senior producer brian landers Additional audio mixing and mastering by Alfred Rook Hamilton. Additional production by Chacho Valadez. Executive producer, Arlen Hamilton.